All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? What's going on? Are you sick? I got a thing. I got a little thing. Can you hear it? Can you hear the thing in my voice, in my throat, in my head? I bash my head into a door, too. So I got a thing, and I bash my head into a door. That's the uh, the problem with staying at hotels occasionally is that you got to really kind of get the map of the room in your head. It was a relatively complicated room. There was a front part and a middle part and there were too many doors and there was a door to the bathroom. And I don't know, I'm an older man. I pee at night and uh, I just walked right into the door in the worst way you can walk into a door. Like it was open in just the right way to where it was. Uh, I walked either side of me when I was on either side of the door and I just kind of ba-doop-ba-doo walked right into it with my face side of my head hitting the door and uh I almost went out I almost went I almost went down so I got big uh, I got a bump on my head hurt my jaw couldn't understand what was up and I got a cold that's that's how I am today I'm happy to be back home I'm happy to be in the garage I'm happy to be doing the work I'm unhappy on some level uh, to be an American right now as we slowly drift, but uh, recently more rapidly into authoritarianism, and I'm not saying this with any hint of irony. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a downer, you know, but uh, we're now that country. We're the country that, uh, that will take your kids as punishment or as some sort of uh, warning. That's right, we'll take your kids for you being desperate and needing somewhere to go, for you needing refuge. Don't come here because we'll, we'll torture your kids. We'll put them in a camp and just the fact that they're there and away from you will cause lasting psychological harm that will probably uh, derail their lives on, on some level. So we will, just the act of it, we will torture your children if you come here in desperation. That's who America is now. Sure, a lot of us don't sign off on that, and there's plenty of people that claim to be intelligent people that say, hey man, you break the law, these are the, we're torturing children. Children. Yeah, but the law is, we're, we're torturing kids. But they broke the law. Their parents shouldn't. They're, we're torturing children. And it's, it's hard to know what to do. You know, you, you speak up because you don't, want to be, you don't want to be part of that poem. When they came for the immigrant children, I did not speak out because I was not an immigrant child. That's the country we're living in now. We torture kids as punishment for their parents' transgression and as a warning to other parents that uh, America is a country that tortures children. I know it's a heavy way to open, but it's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know what to do when your country becomes more authoritarian. It's hard to know when they cross a line and there's no coming back. It's happened to other countries. I guess it was 
only a matter of time be, before it happened here with a complicit Congress and a minority rule and a president that has no sense of humility or no sense of humanity. I'm not saying that he enjoys torturing children, but he sure uh, will use it as political leverage shamelessly, which I guess would be enjoyment, excitedly enjoyment. So we're a country that tortures children now as a warning that you're not welcome here because we'll torture your children. So uh, I've talked to Brendan about it, and he gave some money to a thing called the Family Reunification and Bond Fund. Uh, It provides legal representation and bond funds to get parents out of immigration detention and back with their children. It was set up by a group called RACES, that's R-A-I-C-E-S, Texas, Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services. It's pronounced like RACES. The website is RAICESTexas.org. I will be contributing today. And, uh, you know, for you people that have justified this somehow in your mind, because it feels right in your mind that, you know, hey, don't break the law, just follow it through. You know, and, and this isn't virtue signaling, this is decency. You know, just, you know, follow it through. We're going to take your children and deny them touch, you, and a sense of safety because you were desperate and, and we don't tolerate that anymore. We're going to take away touch. We're going to take away you and any sense of safety from your children torture them and that's that's okay because you broke the law so if you are able to you know contain that in your mind is a a reasonable thing to do and and something you're proud of as an american then i guess i'm not talking to you and if this type of talk aggravates you or you accuse me of being a virtue signaler or if you find precedents in history, even American history, even in any history that, you know, this is somehow not that bad, those precedents should be used as an example of evil shit, not as an aspiration. I, you know what? I'm going to go with 100% of the time torturing children as punishment or as a warning is demonic evil shit. The organization, again, is racistexas.org, R-A-I-C-E-S, texas.org. And that uh, basically is to provide legal representation and bond funds to get parents out of immigration detention and back with their children who are being tortured by the United States government at the behest of a utterly insensitive and callous president and the minority of people that uh, support him. Uh, in the country and a craven Congress that will do nothing. So back from New York, did I mention today is Billy Bob Thornton? Today he is here. Billy Bob Thornton, the mystery, the, uh, the man, he's a very talented dude, great actor. I uh, watched uh, his new series, Goliath. He's wonderful in it. And it was, uh, it was a little intimidating meeting him. And, and uh, but I think we had a nice chat. 
And as I said, I'm back from New York. I was on Colbert. That was a nice, uh, nice. Uh, that was a fun appearance for uh, for me and Stephen. I gave him a break. I gave old Stephen Colbert a break. You know, I went on there. We had a little back and forth, and then I just said, "I got it from here, Stephen. You hang out. Just watch me do this bit." And he did, and it was good. It wasn't a bad thing. It was fine to have Stephen Colbert as a straight man and as an audience. Uh, I felt very good about the uh, performance. I liked the bit. I liked my suit. Uh, I felt like I, I didn't watch it and go like, oh, man, what, why, what, what's with those socks? None, I'm not going to watch it again because I'm sure I'll find something. But it was fun. It was good to see Stephen. Uh, there's a fun picture of, of him and I that I put up on my Instagram, Mark Marin. Uh, backstage at some one of the publicists took and uh yeah I, I i and then after that i went to dinner with sam Lipsite and his wife caridwin morris and uh you know we did uh, that kind of stuff me and sarah the painter did uh, stuff like that did no comedy in new york and it was uh it was fine seeing friends is important it's uh it's important can't wait for Lipsite's new book can't fucking wait you know the things like movies and stuff like that can't wait and uh his wife's doing interesting work too caridwin who's a regular listener to this show is uh coaching uh coaching couples uh pre-childbirth women i guess but you know couples i think too uh just on how to deal with the pain of the thing coming out of you it's an interesting uh interesting niche <laughs> yeah it's gonna hurt man it's fun. The, one of the fun parts, about, one of the fun, one of the good things about dating an artist is that uh, you meet other artists that you respect and occasionally get to go to their studio. I went to uh, Fred Tomaselli's studio with Sarah. He's a friend of uh, Sarah's who I met through her. Great guy. I'm a big fan of his paintings. And um, it was uh, it was kind of cool. It's kind of cool. It, it, it's in, you know, he's in this building that, you know, that's uh, kind of a famous weird old building. Allen Ginsberg used to live in it, and I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a New York that, that is not that, it's not really there anymore, but the ghosts of it are, and some people inhabit the spaces where the ghosts were and continue the legacy of, uh, of, of what New York used to be, and it's sort of refreshing to see it, and his art was great. It's always interesting to see how people work. Uh, he does very interesting stuff with resin, and and sometimes uh, pot leaves, and sometimes pills, sometimes pieces of newspaper. It was cool, man. It's cool to see other people's artwork. And I also went to um, I went to out to the Brooklyn uh, Art Museum, and I saw the Bowie exhibit that everyone's been talking about. And uh, you know, I you know, you hear about things. You hear like this is amazing, that's amazing. You got to see it, and you're like, all right, all right. But it's basically a complete overview of Bowie's work. You know, that includes everything about him. You know, pictures, lyrics, outfits, costumes, videos, paintings. You know, all of it. Historical uh, mementos, napkins with lipstick on them. I mean, everything. And you walk into this thing and you put on a, a, a headset that kind of changes with each room when you interact with different rooms. And I don't know what it was, folks. I, I think it was, you know, something bigger than I anticipated because you know I got in there and um, you know you go through what what Bowie was watching when he was a kid and all these exhibits and everything and and then there's this one case where they just have a big you know video projection of 
of him doing Starman on the top of the pops or whatever it was, right when he became Ziggy and and I I just started crying. And I just let it happen. I'm not sure what I was feeling. I, I'm not sure what I was grieving. I don't know if it was joy or grief, some mixture of the of the two. I don't think I that when Bowie died that I fully realized I'm sure I did realize, you know, how important he was and his music was and what he represented was to my to my young life, to my middle life, to my older life. And maybe the loss was coming over me. And maybe it was just elation and appreciation, a joy that was coming over me, coming out of my eyes. Or maybe it was a grieving for my own youth, or maybe it was a grieving for what seems to be diminishing in culture, a type of artistic freedom that, that, that had occasionally a place in the mainstream, a, a sort of a provocative, confrontational, artistic freedom that, that bent the understanding of, of gender and music, art, that Bowie as a person, how he intentionally inhabited his body in different ways and made himself look different and dress different and move different and sound different. It's fucking overwhelming and spectacular to see it all laid out. But for some reason, every time I got in front of a video or an interview, just started crying. And there was this big last room where they had just a huge screen of concert footage of him as Ziggy and then him later singing Heroes, cutting back to another performance of Heroes, Thin White Duke, Bowie, all different, just weeping. I let it happen. It needed to happen. It was spectacular. The exhibition was spectacular and, you know, whatever I was feeling, whatever I was moving through was, was helpful. What was I grieving? What are we grieving? So much now. I hope the voting works. I really do. Billy Bob Thornton's been around a long time. He's done a lot of amazing movies. He's done uh, some. He's written amazing things. He's won awards. Season two of uh, Goliath just premiered on Amazon. You can stream all episodes of season one and season two now. This is me talking to the interesting and uh, mysterious Billy Bob Thornton. Do you have an impression of him? Because I talked to Brolin. Brolin's got an impression. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, no. I mean, I, I did a movie with Nick, and I've just known him over the years, but it's just uh, very... Which one did you... Which movie was it? Uh, it's called U-Turn. Oh, yeah, yeah with Sean uh, Penn, that weird kind yeah. of... That John Ridley script. Yeah, Oliver Stone directed Right. It, yeah. Like, it was like just one town. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was a very... Yeah. I, I can't remember what it was about. Do you? I don't know if I knew at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it was an interesting experience yeah no question about it yeah it was, Be oh because of those personalities i mean right yeah, yeah and everybody was in it yeah you know, claire danes and That's joaquin right. phoenix and john voigt and oh Morris my god Booth and, 
Wow. Everybody was in it. That's crazy. Yeah. Jennifer Lopez. She wasn't even J-Lo yet. I can't remember what the fuck it was about. Well, Sean gets, you know- It's like a noir thing? Yeah. His car breaks down in this little town in Arizona. Yeah. Right. And I'm the mechanic and I won't let him have his car. Right. And so he's stuck there and he- And it gets weird. And it gets weird. Yeah. (laughs) And I gained 60 pounds for that movie. On purpose? Yeah. I I had gained it for- uh, that and another movie, and then I, what I didn't consider was that the next movie after that, I didn't want to be heavy, right? And, so, but I didn't have time to lose it, so yeah. I did two or three in a row like that. And you, then, you can just lose it. Well, it's not it's not easy, but it was well, it kind of is for me really because I'm allergic to a lot of food. So You've been lean for a long time now. Long time, yeah. yeah. And this is what I was in high school too. I mean, so. In high school, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. I, I actually am the same height and weight that i was as a senior in high school that must feel good that's not bad Do you, you feel know? you feel as good as you did in high school oh shit no <laughs> right <laughs> what's the diet help me help me out i need i'm, well, I'm trying to, i'm on the sugar detox right now well i'm just allergic to stuff you yeah know, i'm allergic to wheat dairy uh shellfish so it cuts down a lot of stuff and also i have type ab negative blood which yeah. is the rarest type it's like Less than 1% of the population of the world has it, so it means that you don't have as many digestive enzymes. Right. So I can't eat red meat or pork or really? anything like that. Yeah. But you used to. I did, but I just assumed that everybody felt like hell after they ate. I just uh, thought that's what eating felt like. Right. <laughs> this is just what you get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So, you, But you weren't like really sick. You just felt shitty. Just felt shitty, yeah. And then you went to the doc, and he's like, oh, you got to... Went to a holistic doctor in California, and I've been out here 38 years, and I think I probably went to that doctor after about maybe, say, eight or nine years, and uh, and she said, uh, try this. I think maybe this could help you, and sure enough, it did. No kidding. So she just gave you the diet. She said, "Don't, don't eat this shit. Yeah. Huh. And then, of course, she gave me some, you know, extract of, oh, like, yeah, of course, sassafras yeah. root or yeah, whatever of course. that was. Yeah. The, the strange capsules and tinctures. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do this three times a day. Exactly. And believe in it. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that works. <laughs> sure, maybe that's what it, it is. Of course it does. Just yeah. believe that it's working. <laughs> yeah. So I just finished watching the whole first season of Goliath. I didn't get the second season. But, uh, but like, I, I'm glad I locked in, you know, because, I mean, there's obviously, we could talk about a lot of things, but I wanted to see the, the new the new work and I plowed through it in two days and did a great job. Oh, thanks. And it's like, uh, you know, what I want to know though, and I guess this is the kind of questions I don't usually, you know, talk about uh, you know, this kind of stuff right off the bat in terms of like what you're here to talk about. But right. so, so like when you work with someone like Bill Hurt, who I, you've not worked with him before, have you? No, I had not. Right. So this is a guy who's a little older than you, probably somebody you respected at some point. Do you still, are you, do you get excited? When you got to work with the duty, you just sort of oh, like, oh, eh. sure. I, I love to work with good actors. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like it's the opposite in movies than it is. You know, I I, I have a, a foot in each world yeah. of music, music and, and movies and, so, TV and, and grew up in, in, in music. Yeah. So in music, it's the other way around. Right. If your opening act is really slamming, yeah. <laughs> you're fucked, you know? I mean, it's like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could get somebody up there who's like... Yeah. Uh, it's like when Jimi Hendrix opened sure. for the Monkees or whatever it right. was, you know? And I love the Monkees, but I mean, it was Jimi Hendrix, and that's what was happening right then. And so... A, a good way to get fired off a tour is be better than the sure. headliner. Yeah, I can't blow the, the headliner <laughs> off stage. But in movies... 
you a lot of people have that attitude. They mm-hmm. think they're afraid to work with some really good actor because you know it's going to make them look bad or whatever it is. But it's actually the other way around in movies. In uh-huh. movies, you want to surround yourself with good people, right? And uh, the the better the actors are around you, the better you are. And uh, and I've always respected Bill Hurt, and uh, uh, he was terrific. Yeah, I, I loved working with him. I, we didn't work together a lot but because that, that, we were on separate you know ends of the show. But but it was always interesting and always always uh, uh, you know creatively fulfilling. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you didn't work a lot together, but the scenes that you did have were were meaty. Yeah. Right. They, they, they sure were. The yeah. courtroom scene and the hospital scene. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so when you say it was c- creatively fulfilling, is it because like you know neither one of you seemed to be sleeping through it? That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, right. You got a you got a Golden Globe for this thing, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. It's great. But but. When when you're working with somebody like that, can you see like the what he's doing and what you're doing that, to get into that place, or do you just feel it out? You know what I mean. Uh, well, it was interesting with him. It's he usually had makeup. He had makeup, and he had oh his, yeah, the whole burn. He's thing fucked up at yeah. the end. Yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, when I'm doing a scene, yeah. I I forget all of the rest of the world. Yeah, I, I, I love to be so involved in a scene I'm not aware of yeah. of, of the fact that you're making a movie or whatever. But, you know, uh, the weird thing about it was is that Bill works in a... In a if you could take two actors who yeah. are exactly the opposite, it's us. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, he was like a Juilliard guy and, yeah. and uh, very, very studied. I mean, you know, he's he really works on parts uh-huh. and... and uh, all that and me, I'm sort of a loose improvisational kind of, you know, cast uh, everything to the wind right. kind of guy. Yeah, and so it actually worked for that because yeah. we were supposed yeah. to be like oil and water. And also, you know, he's supposed to be the control freak guy, and yes. you're you're supposed to be a loose cannon dude. Yeah, kind of exactly. right. And it uh, and it worked uh, beautifully. I mean, we didn't have to uh, rehearse. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And and did you are you part of the, are, you, are you a producer on the show? No, because no, I, I saw Dwight in there. I figured like, well, Billy Bob must pull Dwight in there because you guys worked together so long ago. Like oh he, yeah, yeah. Well, Dw- Dwight's one of my closest friends, and I, actually, one of the uh, producers said to me, "Yeah, uh, hey, what about the? We were just thinking. I mean, you know, Dwight. Yeah, how would he? He would be good for a rich oil guy, right? Or or, or a corporate guy? I mean, yeah." And I said, uh, yeah, it'd be great. And he said, do you think we could get him? I said, I'll call him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're the guy that broke him as an actor, really. He'd done a couple of things before Sling, Sling Blade, Blade, right? Yeah. yeah. But Sling Blade is the thing that really all of a sudden got him uh, a lot of credibility and work as an actor. And But he'd done a couple of things before that. He was actually in that movie. I don't know if you remember. It might have been a like a Showtime movie or something. I don't uh-huh. know. But it was about Roswell. I think it was called Roswell, and uh, Kyle MacLachlan was in it. Was it about the aliens? Yeah, yeah. It's where yeah. the farmer discovers the, the right. aluminum stuff yeah. or whatever it was sure. on his farm. Yeah. And Dwight played the farmer, and I'd seen him in that. And uh, he was also he had a couple of scenes in Red Rock West with Nick Cage. I always was impressed with Dwight. I, I thought uh, because you know the thing is, is I started in music, ended up becoming popular in the movie world. Yeah. Dwight started out as an actor and ended up becoming popular in the music world because he was in like the uh, 
he was an actor at Ohio State and all this kind of stuff. Oh, know? yeah? Right. Well, yeah, there's a couple guys that started out in music. I think Johnny Depp started in music. He was in uh -huh. a band in Florida, from what uh -huh. I heard. Huh. Like, I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, how however your creativity lands. Well, I mean, what happened? Like, you're the second guy... I, don't, I hardly know anyone from Arkansas. Now, like, I had Mary Steenburgen in here. Oh, sure, yeah. Like, two weeks ago. Yeah. And just talking about, about Arkansas. Right. And she's got nothing but love for Arkansas. That's wild. Do you? There's a bunch of people from there. Oh, of course. Uh, I mean, it's Of like, course there are. I just and, don't and know a, thing, a lot of them. Well, I mean, the thing about it is when you start to research it, the number of especially country music people. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell were both in there. And, you know. They grew up there? Uh, uh, grew up there, yeah. And. Uh, we get the Ozarks, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, get I the mean, Ozarks and stuff. It's a, I think it's probably a nice place to, uh, if you wanted to retire, you know, it, it's a good place for that because they've got Hot Springs, which is where I was born. And uh, it's kind of a resort town. They have the mineral baths. And oh, it's yeah. A, a beautiful place, you know. Yeah. I just like it's weird because I don't like I, I wouldn't think to necessarily make it a destination. Like, know, in my mind, I'm like, what are we going right. to do for that two weeks? Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, you can find stuff. I mean, it's uh, especially if you go to Hot Springs. That's yeah. kind of the town. It's 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 got a lot of history. Uh, yeah. A lot of the gangsters went there back in the... From Chicago? The, yeah, the Chicago guys. Like Al Capone had a place there, and Meyer Lansky, all those guys used to go there because... Well, Al Capone, evidently, I mean, this is just what I read about right. it, you know. Sure. Uh, but uh, supposedly Al, Al Capone went to Hot Springs because uh, at the, in those days, they thought that hot mineral baths would cure syphilis. Oh, really? And, uh, I guess it didn't. No. <laughs> it doesn't at all. Yeah. Maybe they should go to a holistic doctor. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Yeah. Or, either, or he just didn't believe in the mineral bath. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. It's right. Yeah, he lost his mind and his dick. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, That makes sense. I guess people didn't want to tell anybody about it. You didn't want to go to the doctor. I don't yeah. know. But like, where, what part of Arkansas did you grow up in? Around Hot Springs. Oh, yeah. just right there, and then you were born there, and yeah. you stayed around there? I have no sense of the state. Well, it's like the south-central part of the okay. state. Uh, and what's, what state's central. it up against? Uh, it's surrounded by Missouri, uh, Tennessee, uh, Louisiana, Oklahoma. Real south, really. Yeah, I kind of—I guess they'd call it the Mid South. Uh huh. You know, I mean, I, I think to really get into Dixie, I, I think you're talking Mississippi, right? Sure. Alabama, Georgia. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so. you're sort of like the Cowboy South. Yeah, like it's, there's more uh, more right. Western sort of influence, like Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more like Oklahoma. It's not East agriculture. It's bulls, and you know, I don't know. And there there is quite a bit of agriculture, but it's more on the eastern side because it's by the Mississippi River. Right. So in other words, I grew up like an hour and a half or so from Memphis. Oh, that's great. And uh, and Memphis was really uh, our town. You know, oh, yeah. that was that's where we went for everything. Like they had a. Uh, the Mid South Coliseum there, where we'd go see a lot of the concerts and stuff. You and like your family? That. Uh, or no, just, just yeah, me and oh, whatever, yeah. whatever egghead I was hanging out with at <laughs> the time. Get in the car and go, yeah, kind right. of shit. Yeah, exactly. But your, none of your family's in the arts of any kind. Uh, my uncle was a country singer and musician, uh, yeah. not a famous one. He was a carpenter also, and uh, kind of a he was sort of a you know 
uh, I don't know how to explain it. He was the same as Hank Williams, only not famous. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was yeah. a, an out-of-control uh, uh, yeah. uh, animal. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Lived the life, just oh, yeah. didn't make the bread. Exactly. And, and my, my uh, grandmother was a writer. She wrote for magazines and newspapers. Yeah. And uh, uh, I grew up in a little tiny town, uh, uh, Mostly, I lived at my grandmother's house till I was eight or nine years old. Oh, yeah? And, yeah, there's no running water or electricity. But we were the sort of the family around there that was literate. So she used to do people's taxes for them and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. So it was, re- so it was that type of poverty and, and, oh, yeah. and, and lack of education? Yes. Where were your folks? Uh, they were there, too. Oh. Just... Uh, see, my dad was in the Korean War. When he got out, he went to college on the GI Bill. Right. And ultimately became a history teacher and a coach. Uh, that's but, pretty good yeah yeah it was great and uh he was a high school basketball coach so if you see hoosiers yeah imagine the really low rent much more uh well po- a poorer yeah version of hoosiers and that was kind of my of life Hackman? As a kid. And, oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah did you ever work with him yeah i never did i know him and i always liked gene he's uh you know those guys uh i mean those were the guys that inspired me, you yeah, know, right. Because they were that generation still here, you yeah, know, when yeah. I got here. And right, I, I got here in 1980, so uh, those guys were going strong. So Duvall, who I've done like seven movies with, uh, Duvall was sort of my mentor, and I knew I knew Hackman kind of through him, and uh, also Wilford Brimley, and oh, you know yeah. th- those kind of guys, yeah. you know. And I, I loved those guys, and uh, they didn't fool around. Jimmy Kahn. You yeah, know, all those guys were, were heroes of mine. So they didn't uh, fool around. No, no. I they, mean, they were they, they work. They work, and you they don't suffer fools gladly. No shit. No. Well, Hackman, you know, you can. He's one of those guys you can just watch. You know, eat. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. So all right, so you're hanging around. You, you, your your dad's a, a teacher and coach. What's your mom doing? Uh, my mom. Uh, well, you know, back in those days, moms were housewives. Sure. And I mean, you got brothers and sisters? Uh, I had uh, two brothers. Uh, my youngest brother, who is, I was practically like a an uncle to him because yeah. when he, I was 12 when he was born. Oh, wow. He's in the medical field up in uh, uh, Santa Clara, California, by San Jose there. Oh, he, yeah. He teaches nursing. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, he was, he's an RN and also... Uh, he was a medic in the army and all that kind of stuff. Oh, no so uh, he did that. My uh, middle brother Jimmy was a who was a great songwriter and musician. Uh, passed away in 1988. Sorry, uh, man. Yeah, it was, uh, he was 30 years old. What and, the fuck? Yeah, he had a. They think he had rheumatic fever as a child or something like that, and they never caught it because huh. he never went to the doctor. But uh, he uh, died from a heart problem, and they, oh. they think he had it since he was a kid. And, oh, uh, shit. Sounds like was, that thing Paxton might have had. Yeah, his was different, but uh-huh. it was that kind of thing. I mean, the f- sad thing about Paxton, who was I was really close with, you know. Uh, I know. I talked uh, to him like uh, three weeks before he died. It's crazy, you know. And Bill, fuck. But Bill knew he had it, yeah, and he I, went yeah. in to get it fixed. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's really... Uh, I mean that's the whole tragedy of that thing. It's like you go in to get it fixed, and you and, and that didn't work out. It takes you, you know. just it's so sad. Same thing that happened to John Ritter. You know, John died right. from the same thing. You know. Oh, and you guys worked together, didn't? Oh you? yeah, a long time ago. Right. Yeah, a long, uh, long time ago. John he was, was in Swing Boys. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was and, a big, uh, big shift for him. Oh yeah, yeah. He's great. I loved John. Yeah. So, so 
when you were growing up, the first thing was music, huh? You just started playing in bands and shit? Yeah, well, you know, I'm from that era when uh, everything was about Elvis, and then after that, the Beatles, and... uh, So you remember seeing them? Oh, absolutely. I uh, I was eight years old. It was a weird time because... See, I was born in 55. Right. Ken- Kennedy was assassinated in 63, right. November 63. So I had uh, I had just turned eight. Yeah. And eight or nine. Hell, so you kind of remember it. I remember it very clearly, and it was everything to us because we got a little bit of uh, uh, sort of like pre-Sullivan show stuff over here you know like they were selling the beetle dolls and i want to hold your hand was right, out right. and the first record i ever bought with my own mitts you know was i want to hold your hand and oh really the single the single oh yeah. yeah and uh so when i saw the beatles and ed sullivan that was it and i think for our era the guys that were born around my time and, yeah and in terms of actors it's like uh, Costner and Bruce Willis and me and uh, Paxson also same year. Uh, I think Tom Hanks is one year behind us. Dennis Quaid's a year ahead of us, but we're all born right in that area. Yeah, and uh, so I think one of the great things about being born in the days when rock and roll was new, yeah, is the fact that we the bar was set so high for us that we grew up knowing we'd never be what we wanted to be. So in other words, it keeps you trying, you know what I mean? It keeps you hungry your whole life because you're trying to achieve something that's impossible because you're never going to be Elvis or the Beatles. It's not going to happen. But you, but you never thought like, but we can do it. All I need is these three chords and, and you know, we can have a good time and get people moving. Yeah. No, we did think that, yeah. and and of course back then you thought that maybe you could be the American Beatles, I right? Mean, right. So I'm, and by the time I'm ten, eleven, I'm in a band, you know, and we're, you know, our equipment was pretty limited. At but, ten, uh, at ten, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, playing a broom as a guitar, <laughs> that kind of thing. But what, what did you play? What's your instrument? Uh, I started out on drums. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. that, that was your thing, huh? Yeah. So you remember, like, that's weird, because I talked to Paxton about, like, he was at, I think he was at that day in Dallas. Oh, wasn't right. He? Yeah, he was. He yeah, was man. That, I mean, he was on his dad's shoulders. I, I, that's or, right. Or someone's shoulders that, that, that man, do you do you remember that happening? Oh, absolutely. What, just like grown-ups crying or what? Everybody lost their minds, and it was like, yeah, everybody was weepy, and it was a gigantic deal, and... In school, they they let us out of school, and I think maybe I can't remember right now, but I think it might have been on a Sunday mm-hmm. when it actually happened. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm not real clear on that, but yeah. I do know they let us out of school for a day or two, and then when we came back to school, they brought television sets into all the classrooms, and we watched the funeral. Oh yeah, on television with the with Jackie walking with those kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Holy shit, that yeah, was crazy. So. Uh, so you start playing when you're young, and when do you get into the first real band? Uh, I was probably in my first real band. I was probably 13. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we played the usual stuff, you know. Sure. We, we played uh, House of the Rising Sun and <laughs> Hanky Panky by Tommy James and the Shondells. Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. One of the funniest things we ever did, because we didn't have a microphone in the beginning. Uh-huh. And stuff was hard to come by. And we, these were the days when maybe two guitar players would play through the same amp. Right. 
Cut and, each other out. Uh, and yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it was just a mess, right? You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. That was good enough for us. Sure. So one guy had a uh, one guy had a silver tone amp, and one guy had a Fender. Uh, I think it was a deluxe. Like maybe. that thing. Yeah. Oh, is that a deluxe? Yeah, that's a, a little deluxe. Yeah, a little. Oh, yeah. It's like a 57, that's an old 58. One. That's, yeah, that's yeah. That's a dandy right there. Yeah, it's great. So um, so we had a couple of guys play through one amp, and then like the guy who played bass played through the other, but we didn't have a bass. Yeah. So he just played right. the bass notes on a guitar, right? right? Yeah. And, uh, and then I played drums. And, of course, my drum kit at that time was something like we got through Sears Catalog or whatever that had like a picture of a palm tree on the front of the drum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, One of those. Yeah. And um, so uh, we we played at this uh, – our first real performance in front of people was at a PTA meeting in the cafeteria of the elementary school. Yeah. And we played House of Rising Sun, but this was all instrumentals. No singing. No singing. <laughs> so we did Hanky Panky, yeah. House of Rising Sun. <laughs> right. And a couple others. I can't remember what they were. Uh, Summertime Blues. Sure. And – but those songs are pretty repetitive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So with no vocal. Yeah. <laughs> and But the funny one that we did, there was a song at the time uh, done by a guy named uh, Sergeant Barry Sadler, uh-huh. who was a Vietnam, like, Green Beret. Yeah. And it was called The, the Ballad Ber- of the, the Green, Green Beret. Beret. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the whole point to the song was a recitation right. by this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like... With these people singing yeah. in the background stuff. So... We did an instrumental of something that stays on like a couple chords with the drums oh, doing kind of like a parade march. Yeah. So we do an instrumental of a talking song. And, and it was just stupid. And no one's playing the melody or he is? Or he's just, no. just doing <laughs> No, we're just finding out. Because we didn't, nobody played lead guitar then. Yeah, you know so what I mean? Playing the chords? Playing the chords. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, even that old amp, that's got a plug in for a mic. Oh, sure. Yeah, these things. Was, we it, did that too. Yeah, everything in it goes right through that. When we finally got a mic, yeah. we plugged the mic sure. in with a guitar, with the, you know, yeah, and it was yeah, just mud. Yeah, it's all in one thing. It's perfect. <laughs> Let's get the chords. Exactly. So did you ever make money? Well, we started to when I got in high school, yeah. Same guys? Uh, oh, no. I, I moved on. I was in three or four different bands right. uh, from the time Always I was. Always playing drums? Uh, no, I was the singer in some bands. I yeah. played bass in one band. I, I, uh, but either drums or vocals usually. Yeah. And... Uh, so we, you know, by the time I got in my late teens, uh, we were, they used regional acts a lot of times for opener, uh-huh. opening bands for big names. Sure. Your buddy so, Billy Gibbons opened for Hendrix. With oh, the, yeah, they sure did. What was it, Electric Sidewalks? Is that what oh, oh Moving Sidewalks. Moving Sidewalks, yeah. 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 And we opened for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. we, we opened for Black Oak, Arkansas and Humble Pie and... Uh, That's cool. You know, Earl Scruggs Review, nice. Richie Havens, you know. Yeah. So by the time I was, you know, 18, 19, I had already played at festivals and stuff of 20,000 people. So that You know the feeling. Of, I, knew, I knew the feeling early, so yeah, that was yeah. good, yeah. And it must be cool to see Earl Scruggs play. <laughs> oh, man, it, I, I tell you what, that Earl Scruggs Review, because his sons were sure. like plugged into the rock and roll world, and they got Earl... You know, kind of playing the yeah. banjo thing, doing that, and uh, one of the kids is a mandolin player. How does it lay out? The Scruggs boys. Uh, what are they well, in the Earl Scruggs review, they really just played guitars, uh-huh. bass, and drums, uh-huh. and they're always on banjo, right? Uh, because it was kind of, uh, 
it was kind of a, 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 a version of like a Burrito Brothers or, sure. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, Trying to get the kids to like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's yeah. get dad uh, hip to the kids. Let's get the kids hip exactly. to dad. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. And Havens, was he up there by himself just beating he, that thing up? You know, he had a he had a uh, two guys with him. Mm-hmm. He had a bass player and a drummer. And Richie, and I knew Richie uh, years later also. This really? Was, we played up there with him in 76, but... I got to know him later on, and he was on a show with us at South by Southwest one time, and I reminded him of this when he played at this one festival. Yeah. Uh, he played so hard, and you know, he played yeah. with open tuning, so he, and yeah. his hands were like a foot and a half long, so he, he just wrapped up. his hand around the yeah. neck, you know? right. And he strummed with his fingers, you know? Yeah. And he was so intense that he passed out. He was sitting on a stool. He used to sit on a stool right. and play. And rock, right? And rock bit? back and forth. Yeah. And he just went over backwards. And I was one of the guys who helped to get him off the stage, which was pretty, at the time, Yeah, I was like, I'm going to be in Rolling Stone magazine because I went out because I helped get Richie Havens off the stage when he passed out. Of course, you know, didn't yeah. come to anything. He just thought you're a roadie or something. Did he? Yeah. Rem- did he remember it? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Shit. No, he didn't, remember it. <laughs> he didn't remember nothing. Yeah. So you do you go to Memphis and you do the whole thing? You try to get record deals. How how do you end up? You know, you're taking a turn and coming out here. You know what I mean? Well, we were we made a couple of records, you know, uh, but not under the name that not the Boxmasters. Oh gosh, not, no, no, no. This was way the Boxmasters only been together twelve years, but yeah. this uh, I did solo records before yeah. that. But I heard a couple of them, yeah. The, but that was still two thousand one, though, right? Or, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I actually made my first real record in a studio in uh, uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and uh, Sheffield, in, Alabama, technically. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, which is you know obviously a hotbed for the old soul stuff and did you play at that studio uh, at the actual muscle shoals m- not studio? muscle shoals sound they, right. they had they had several there yeah, sure and uh, we were at a studio called widget sound uh-huh. which is uh, defunct now but uh tiny little place yeah. and we drove down and recorded there we made we did two songs they never became a record but we had a one of the guys in the band i think still has them on real to real like tape. demo yeah, 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 and uh, there were both original songs, and this is back. We were still really cutting our teeth on writing our own songs. You were know? you like nineteen, eighteen? Yeah, like yeah, eighteen, yeah. nineteen, and and we uh, we had one song called "Lady of Evil," yeah, <laughs> and the other song was called "You and Me for Eternity." Oh, nice! Yeah, right. <laughs> Good little rhyme there. <laughs> you, got, you got it all covered: love yeah, and and the right. other thing. Exactly. <laughs> and then we made, and then I got in a band uh, called Nothing Doing with a couple of guys that I'm still in touch with these days from uh, near my hometown, and uh-huh. we were a three piece, and we cut a record over at uh, Ardent Studios in Memphis, which is a very famous old sure. studio, still going. Yeah, and and you did, but those were those released? Well. That one was released yeah. by our manager who yeah. got them pressed up and distributed them around Houston because what happened is we ended up, uh, a guy came backstage, we're playing a place called Cardi's in Houston, I don't yeah. think it's there anymore, and this guy came backstage and said, uh, hey, you guys sound just like ZZ Top, how'd you like to be a ZZ Top cover act? I'm, a, I'm an agent and I used to work for ZZ Top. And this was back before you had these cover bands of, you know, like right. they do now. And right, right. We said, well, what, uh, what's in it for us? We don't know what that means. They said, well, you need to look like them and play their songs and stuff like that. And we said, well, what do we get out of it? And he said, 
how much you making a night? And we said $300. And he said, how'd you like to make $1,500 a night? We said, we'd like that very much. Sure. Yeah. So you played in his easy top cover band? For two or three years. Yeah, called Trace Hombres. <laughs> really? Yeah. You tell Billy about this? Oh, Billy saw us back then. <laughs> he, he uh, I've known Givens for a long time. So well, what moment happens where you're like, well, fuck this, I'm going to Hollywood? I mean, what was the... Well, my buddy Tom Epperson, who... Uh, the guy you write my, with? The guy I wrote a lot of scripts with over the years. Uh, Tom was my neighbor back home, and he... In Arkansas? Know, yeah. And he was a smart guy, and he, you know, he, he ended up teaching freshman English back there and stuff like uh-huh. that. And he wanted to go be a screenwriter. Right. And he said, you know... Uh, you were in drama in high school. He goes, maybe you can be an actor. And I said, yeah, maybe I can get in a band, which is really why I came out here. And I just came with him. You did do drama in high school, though? Well, I did it because I made such shitty grades and everything else. I thought, how hard can this be? <laughs> and uh, I thought, maybe I'll get a C or a B or something. Yeah, That'd yeah. be great. Right. And uh, and there were girls in there. Sure. You know what I mean? But you tried. You, you did a little acting. I did some acting in, in, uh, as a junior and senior in high school. Do you like it? And uh well, it was, I mean, we did stuff like Cinderella. I, mean, I know. You know. But I mean, so, did you like being on stage? Did you get the vibe? No, not particularly. Didn't yeah. do nothing? I know. I mean, I just thought it was kind of silly. <laughs> Plus, you were always kind of dressed up funny, yeah, you know, sure. and those things, yeah. Yeah. So you come out here with Epperson. Yeah. Thinking you're going to you know, hit some rock and roll. What year is it? Uh, we got here, I think we got here actually in not 80, 81, the beginning of 81. Oh, and, so it's, uh, so, so the strip is different. It's not the seventies, but something else is happening. Hair metal, stuff oh, like that. Absolutely. And, and that was even maybe a little before that. I uh, mean, punk yeah, right. was going on. Right. And, uh, uh, but back then the Sunset Strip was still really alive. Sure. And then they had cruising. Remember when cruising became popular on the strip right. and, they had hookers on the strip that were like out of Vegas. I mean, you know, they wore the feather oh, right. boas and they were dressed up in mini skirts. And so stuff. eighty-one. So it's like the peak of coke and hair and. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, what? So what are you doing? Are you going to clubs? You checking out the the scenes? I'm barely alive. Uh, I mean, we were we got out here with hardly any money. Uh, we lived in a creepy little uh, converted motel down on Motor Avenue, and. Huh. Uh, in palms and, oh in uh, palms yeah that's where people would live with it when they wanted to live like that yeah exactly <laughs> it was literally a converted motel so we had it was one room with a bathroom no kitchen no anything so tom was four years older than me and you know i was kind of they used to pick on me when i was a kid so he 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 took the bed i slept on the floor yeah. but that's where we started writing screenplays and uh, i got a job working for shaky's pizza parlor oh my god shaky's yeah yeah. Well, I mean, that was it wasn't terrible pizza, but you had the whole birthday thing and Oh yeah, yeah, and, and the and the and the bunch of lunch. Oh yeah, was there a bunch of lunch? Oh yeah, it was a bunch of lunch. You know, you get you get all you can eat, man. <laughs> so that was the job. You working at Jake, yeah, wearing the hat, Shakey. throwing the, shit in the oven, bow tie, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, making pizzas. Uh, isn't and, there a piano in Shakey's? Isn't there a piano in there? Yeah, that, that well they used to have a guy Right. Our shakies didn't, but they would have a guy dressed up in the old thing with the bow tie and yeah. the straw hat to playing a banjo. Okay. And doing not, that kind not, of stuff. Not, but not at yours? No, our shakies didn't have that. You know, <laughs> they, they had like a centipede game or something. That was it? Just yeah. the, some kid in the corner? <laughs> right, exactly. So that was the gig. So you're uh, you're sweeping on the floor, writing screenplays with Epperson, working at shakies? Yeah. 
And then what, how long does that go on for, dude? I well, mean, I worked Shakey's like a year, year and a half, and then I uh, got some other kind of job somewhere. And then the guys in the band called me up and said, hey, we're, you know, we're moving to Houston. You, know, you want to come back down here and play some more music? And I was having, I had a bad breakup with this girl, and uh, Tom actually came and picked me up because this girl, she, she busted my heart. And uh, I was in a pair of shorts and a straw hat. It was in the summer, running down the median, like, just desperate. Where, here and, in L.A.? Yeah, down Venice Boulevard. And uh. I ended up at a 7-Eleven, and I called Tom. Yeah. And I said, you got to come get me. I'm losing my mind. I got on a, uh, a bus and went to Houston. I said, I can't take it. And I went back to Houston, played music for about a little over a year, and then came back. Had you lived in Houston before? Uh yeah, well, me and the guys, we'd been in Houston, and oh, with, they, the, with the Trace Hombres. Yeah, they had a they had a uh, uh, their dad owned a equipment rental place. The other they rented guys, like they, oh, they were brothers. The other, they were brothers. Okay, and, and uh, he owned an equipment rental place, and they worked there, and I started working there, and I, you know, we rented bulldozers and backhoes yeah. and and sump pumps and everything else. Yeah. That, uh, so that was uh, that was the subsidized the music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you go back yeah. to Houston, and then and, I come back. But you're all fucked up out there. You leave, you lose your mind over a woman, and you, yeah, <laughs> it does. So that's not a it's a bad feeling, man. It really to is. be broke and brokenhearted. Yeah, and at a Seven Eleven using a payphone. Right. <laughs> it was pretty bad, and and you know we were starving to death all the time. I mean, you know, even in the Shakey's job, I th- I think I brought home six dollars over what our rent was which was ninety dollars a week what was he doing nothing yeah <laughs> well he was a teacher and he was looking for a teaching job it's like you know he ultimately got a job working at a private mail receiving center and he worked there for a few years and i worked there for a little bit he got me on there and this was back in when we, when we first got here i was just talking about this with somebody the other day stuff was still here like tiny nailers was it was here and uh Schwabs, yeah, and you know places like that were still still around, right? Yeah. Sure, in eighty one, yeah, yeah, I, it, they, yeah, they're all. It's weird how they're all gone, huh? Yeah, but uh, stuff's gone. But even like like Ben Franks. Oh, I know. Ben Sunset. Franks is now some kind of like fifties diner. I think it's a Mel's diner. Or, yeah, yeah right. right. But but yeah, Ben Franks was around when I was here, and there was just oh, yeah, yeah. You do you do see it go away, but you know you caught that you know the, coming out in eighty one eighty two that. At least the tail end of uh, the town was still around. Yeah, a lot sure of it. Was. So you went to Houston, and that didn't work out, and you came yeah, back. Yeah, I came back, and I, I was in an acting class. Uh, there was a guy, John Woodlock, who I owe a lot to, who was had an acting class, and we met this friend. He's still around. I uh, know he moved to Australia. He's a cattle rancher now. Really? Yeah. He was your yeah. acting teacher. Yeah, he ta- he taught up in San Francisco and L.A. Huh. And uh, there was a guy named Jeff Lester who is still a director and yeah. writer and lives in Vegas and. And Jeff uh, had a connection to Tom through his his girlfriend's mother had been a school teacher with yeah. Tom. So uh, he said when we met him, and it was the only guy we knew here, and he said, you ought to come to my acting class. And I did. And uh, and Tom was like, yeah, you should try this. You know, why not? And I did. And uh, it um, I was in the class for two or three years, and uh, he was really good to me. What made you like? Because it didn't. It doesn't sound like initially you had much interest in it. 
Well, we didn't have where I, where I grew up. There was one theater, and uh, they played whatever the new Don Knotts or Dick Van Dyke movie was, sure. and that's all we knew about movies. I wasn't, you know, Martin Scorsese is one of these guys who knows movies inside and out. He yeah. grew up, you know, as a rabid movie kid. You know, right. I was that way with albums. Like right, I knew all sure. the liner notes. I didn't know anything about movies or theater or anything else. So you're take, and, doing acting as sort of a fluke or you just did Well, I just did it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I just went in there because I didn't have anything else to do, and but I didn't have any money. So yeah. what I did is I took one of Tom's Shakespeare books. Uh, we were staying with it, my cousin, who I hadn't seen in like a million years out in San Bernardino because yeah. we'd run out of money. So we're in Rialto, California out there in San Bernardino County. Right. And I take one of Tom Shakespeare books because the guy said, well, come in and do a scene or a monologue. Well, I can't do a scene. I don't know anybody. So yeah. I did a monologue and I figured I know what I'll do. I'll rewrite Othello yeah. and I'll play all the characters. And so I went into the class and I, I started doing Othello from Iago's point of view, sitting in his jail cell telling what happened. Yeah. So every time I got to another character, I changed voices and I played them all as modern day people. Right. Like Othello is kind of a street hustler guy and, and, and Desdemona was kind of a valley girl and Iago was a redneck. You know what I mean? Stuff sure. like that. It's like a one man show. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, uh, and the acting teacher, after about 30 or 40 minutes, he stopped me and he said, uh, he goes, where did you get this? I said, I just, I just kind of made it up, you know. And he said... I want to talk to you after class, but he said, right now we have to have, we have other people in the class that need to do stuff. So you take a seat. He goes, how much more of this is there? I said, I don't know. I'll probably stretch it to another half hour. And, uh, so after class, I thought I was in trouble, you know, For and, what, you, and, yeah, Shakespeare so, police. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, he says, listen, I don't know who you are or where you came from, but he said, you have a real gift for this. He said, so you just came in here and improvised Othello and played all these characters. I go, yeah, I didn't know what else to do. He said, well, it's amazing. And he said to me at the time, out of everybody I've ever taught, I think that you will be standing on a stage someday accepting a trophy. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think you can do this, which shocked me. And before him, the only other teacher that ever encouraged me was Maudie Treadway, who was my uh, drama teacher in high school. Huh. So they so, saw it in you. I guess they saw something. But yeah. one way or the other, I, you know, I, I did this. And he said, look, this is great. And I said, well, how, how much is it? And he told me how much it was. I can't remember. And he said, uh, I'll, I'll float you for a while. He goes, it's, it's worth it to me to, to watch you work here. Oh, so that was your audition. Basically. It was to yeah to see about getting in okay, a class got it, yeah got it. yeah and, oh, so he uh, floated you for a while yeah yeah he did and he also let me stay at his house part time he was wow. really good to me he let a lot of us stay there he, yeah anytime he went went out of town somebody we were all clamor to be the one that got to house sit for him because he lived in a nice regular house is, over on Bronson there is that where he taught. No, no, he taught. You know where Crossroads of the World is? Yeah. Uh, Cherokee and Sunset. Yeah. Uh, it was a little theater right in there. And um, so one way or the other, he said, but listen, from now on, when you come in here, just know that monologues are supposed to be from three to five minutes long. Yeah. And I said, sorry about that. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was doing a show. Yeah. But he let me finish it. And what'd you learn there? Uh, you know, I started paying attention more at that point, and I I think the main thing I learned there yeah. was uh, that you got to do this stuff and you got to get over the fact that you're 
showing your ass in front of a bunch of people. Uh-huh. I think that's, I mean, because I don't always agree with acting teachers and yeah. methods. And um, I think it was good for me because I got to do it all the time. Yeah. I met people. I felt like part of something. And I, because I was kind of an outcast most of my life, I still am, you know, in a lot of ways. And I, why I th- is that? I think, uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just, I, I just feel kind of like I don't belong. I mean, I, I'm look. I'm just some poor moron who came out here and got lucky. I don't know. Yeah. I, I. Uh, you think you're an oddball? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Or, or I'm just so ordinary that you know, I'm not sure what it is really. Uh-huh. But I mean, I was listening to Frank Zappa and the Mothers and Captain Beefheart when I was like 12. You know yeah, what I mean? So that'll do it. I was just different than the people back home. You know what I mean? Well, blame blame and, Zappa and Beefheart. That's yeah, good. And, sure. and the Bonzo Dog Band. Yeah. But um, I, I just. Um, I don't know. I, I I always fit in more with guys like Jim Jarmusch or somebody like yeah, that. You right. know, I never was. Or weights uh, or somebody. Yeah, those yeah. guys are, yeah. were the people that I looked at as being people that I kind of understood what yeah. they were up to. And, yeah. And I, I'm not to this day. I'm real nervous around rich people and and like you know I don't I don't know how to behave in, in big sort of society situations and that kind of thing and i was that way as a kid and i i think a lot of it is i i'm still insecure from growing up real poor and being an outcast in school and being a poor kid you know what i mean sure yeah i think i think it's still around and i guess the reason why you looked at those guys like zappa beefheart weights or jarmusch is that is that they (coughs) they seemed like uh outsiders that could navigate their own space and right. hold their own space and get respect for being you know out there yeah i think so yeah yeah i mean we all find those people i think a lot in our lives it's like when somebody would say something bad about me on the internet which is still odd to me because we grew up not not knowing who hated you yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, yeah yeah now you know you'd hear it from another Some, guy yeah so, <laughs> right now they yeah. can do it right to your face exactly yeah. some guy named doug and lincoln <laughs> hates me so but Anyway, but the thing about that is, is when those guys would say something about me, I used to, I, I would want to get hold of them and say, "Dude, I'm, 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 a, I'm a pathetic, ugly guy who somehow became popular as an actor for a spell. I'm now doing a, one TV show. I, I have a family. I'm not a." Uh, you know, I ain't no pinup boy. You know, it's like why why pick yeah. on me? You know, right, right. It's, like, that, it's like I'm 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 you. I'm not them. Well, that but in their mind, they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you're the guy that married Angelina Jolie. You're a movie star. You won an Oscar. Like whatever. Yeah. You, think, you know they they like. No, I get it. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I get that part, but but you don't have got how, nothing to do with you. Is what I'm saying. R- right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's but it's like inside. You know who you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most so days. it's most, yeah, right. <laughs> so you kind of feel like yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, pick on somebody who's like you know pretty and got a lot of money. Yeah, a real asshole. Pick a, yeah, yeah pick right. A, pick out a real <laughs> asshole. I'm not a real asshole. No, I I know what you're saying. I, I I but I do think that like well that's interesting to me because like um because your your story your 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 stardom was profound. Like, I mean, it was like one day you were this guy and the next day you were like that guy. Yeah. You know, publicly. Right, right. And That's I, true. And I, yeah. and I imagine that, that, that had to have, a, 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 I can't imagine what that felt like. I mean, you know, how do you navigate that? I mean, it's like weird. if you feel like, you know, you're just a, you know, this guy that you are, 
you know, you do you do have live in the rare air world a little bit, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so so like before, like just to get there. So you take the acting class for a few years, and what leads to you know you working? Well, I started to do these showcases. They used to do showcases. Uh, at, one of them was up at the you know the big old Methodist church at Highland uh, when you're going toward the Hollywood yeah, Bowl yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, Franklin. Yeah, yeah, Highland Franklin. Yeah, they would have showcases in there and other places, and you would pay a certain amount of money, fifteen, twenty bucks. I can't remember what it was. And they and the people that ran the showcase would bring in different casting directors or directors. Huh. And you'd get to show them your stuff. And that was real. Yeah. yeah, And uh, some people actually got cast out of those showcases, you know. And I I met a couple people during during that process that – and and also I just started getting little things here and there. Like I remember being on Matlock. I had one scene playing a pawn shop worker. Do you have an agent? uh, I eventually got an agent, uh, yeah, uh, uh, who's out of the business now, but – it was the Smith Friedman Agency, yeah. and they, they were one of those mid-level agencies, yeah. you know. And uh, um, Susan Smith ran the agency, yeah. uh, with Andy Friedman, and uh, and so yeah. yeah. I, I, but they signed me and Tom as writers because they'd read through a friend of ours. Uh, they uh, they actually uh, got one of our scripts and liked it, and they signed us up. They were a really good agency, but they wouldn't sign me as an actor because I didn't have any credits much, uh-huh. except for in the theater group I belonged to, which was the West Coast Ensemble. And uh, the woman that ran the agency came to see me do my one-man show at the West Coast Ensemble, and afterwards she said, I don't get it. I'm not signing you. What was the one-man show? Uh, I just did all these characters. Oh, <laughs> include you know I, I i did this i remember i did a new york character actor like you know the guys you run into out here who never quite made it but yeah. they were on airwolf and different shows yeah, you yeah know? right sure back in the old days they were in short eyes or whatever it was yeah, yeah. you know what i mean that and, play or the movie oh uh, uh, well, yeah stuff like that short eyes, but, that heavy thing man right it's very heavy yeah and but that they, but they all like knew Pacino. Sure, you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> right. guys who went to the actors' studio, right, and you right. know they yeah. all knew each other. You, you and a bun, bunch of those guys. Is uh, it comedic? Was it comedic? It was they? mainly comedic, uh-huh. and uh, and 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 a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, it was kind of uh, melancholy and comedic. You know, uh-huh, yeah. you know, because a lot of it was about you know people in the underbelly of society oh yeah yeah cast of characters yeah oh that's nice so 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 you did those things there and you started to get a little traction yeah just bits and pieces here and there and then i you know and and uh, finally tom and i sold a screenplay or or optioned a screenplay to david geffen for which one uh it was called hands of another but it never got made and uh but but we got ten thousand dollars, you know. Man, that's pretty good. And well, I mean, and back then that sounds like nothing yeah. now, and it was nothing then. But to us, it was like a billion dollars. And so with that money from you know that, uh, yeah, at least that gave us enough of a foothold to to make a living and and be able to go out there without having to work at a place, right? You know, we could for a, at least a couple of months we so could go out and. Threw your apron down and do shakies. It. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then Tom and I, uh, 
eventually uh, we wrote a movie called One False Move that got made, and it was a big critical success. Uh, it wasn't... Uh, uh, Who made it? Uh, RCA Columbia, I think, financed in a company called IRS Media. Uh, and you acting in it? Yes. Uh, me and Paxton, uh, uh, Cinder Williams, and it was... Um, you know, a real noirish crime drama, you yeah, know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, we'd written it, and and uh, I was the, the second lead of it, and 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 that was that really got us a name in the business. I mean, not with the public, but with the business. Yeah, you were you were in. Yeah, yeah, you. And then a four or five years later, I did Sling Blade, and and uh, yeah. and it was all, and you wrote this. Um, how many movies did you write with that person? Well, we wrote see one, two, three. Four, four that got made. Yeah, and and then we wrote a bunch of scripts together, probably twenty or something. But, but he, uh, you, he he didn't write Swing Blade with you. No, uh, no, I wrote that one and a script called Daddy and Them that I did uh, right before All the Pretty Horses uh, by myself, and then so and then he wrote. He, he still makes a living like uh, writing scripts, like. Uh, rewriting like script doctor sure. stuff yeah, and yeah. He's, he's also a novelist he's working on just got has a new novel coming out soon and you guys are still pals oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so when do you think like because you know i see that like you did a, a lot of weird little movies but you also did like you're in tombstone and you had bit parts and in, in decent proposal and stuff like that right so but swing blade was really the one huh yeah oh absolutely yeah oh that's right duvall was it oh your dad yeah he played my dad and yeah like you had that, like there was a vibe to it, like you know, like that documentary, My Brother's Keeper. Do you ever see? Oh that? yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, man, like because like I remember like that, you know, the scene that that the old house where shit was just not oh, right. Yeah, furniture wasn't right. Oh yeah. Were, were you drawing from something like from your past? Oh yeah, yeah. That's Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that that I either was around or heard about or yeah. whatever i mean not right. not not based on a story right but just some of the incidents and i mean the character is based on two or three different people put together you know yeah. like the voice the, and the body language different things you know but uh you got right into it too and you can still do that i mean you still got that thing that's why i was trying to you know hit your hit, pick your brain about craft in terms of like you know how do you lock in like that I mean, because you still do it, like even in this, you know, in Goliath, which is, you know, not as extreme a character, mm -hmm. but he's a character, mm -hmm. you know, and you got to, you know, lock in and the emotional range is all very present. And like in the, in the weird, the, 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 what was that one you did? Simple Plan. Oh, A Simple Plan. Yeah, yeah that man. was with Paxton and uh, Bridget Fonda. Sam yeah. Raimi movie. Sam Raimi directed But, that you know, movie. that was another one where your character wasn't you, man. It wasn't you. Right. <laughs> I was playing Paxton. <laughs> you were? I really was. Really? I, I, yeah. And he didn't know it, but because Bill never knew that he was that much of a big old teddy bear sheepdog, you know, yeah. people, you know. Yeah. And yeah. he, he, uh, uh, after, I, th I think somebody told him that because then he said, hey, man, I'm just going to play you. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so we were kind of both trying to be each other's brother you know really and i so i just played that character kind of like paxton was in in life you know oh, he, just, he was just a good-hearted guy you know yeah, yeah. and uh so that was one of my favorites i, I loved simple plan i love that movie. Uh, a man who wasn't there uh i did with the cohen brothers yeah. is another one of my favorites i love movie. the fucking gift 
Like they're that. Oh yeah, the gift. Yeah, it's based on my mom, kind of. Yeah. The she was a, a psychic. psychic. Yeah. Man, I, it's like it's a it's a it's I that movie. There are scenes in that movie that I can't get out of my head. You know. Right. With Rabizi's character, you know that whole blue diamond that that storyline. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. Too much, dude. Well, that was real. Yeah. It was real. That was real from my childhood. Yeah. The the part that Giovanni played was. When Tom and I were first writing the script, yeah. that was the part that I was going to play. Yeah. But then by the time we got that movie made, because yeah. it had been around a while, I was off to do other things. And, and uh, what, what what do you mean was real from your childhood? Well, that, that character existed. You knew him? Yeah. A guy from the town? Mm-hmm. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. And Rabizi just acted the shit out of that thing. He did. He did great. God damn. That, and Raimi, did, he directed that too, huh? Yeah, Sam did that too. Man, so in talking about like that that launch, like that transition from, because like I, I I hear from what we talked about before that you still you see yourself a certain way, but obviously the world sees you differently because of your your celebrity and your your job. Right. So when you when you transition like from kicking around writing a script here and there in Swing Blade, and you know, awards talk and and everything else. You know, and and you tell me you're uncomfortable going to things like I would imagine the Oscars. No. How 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 do you handle it, dude? I I'm sorry, well, I'm using dude a lot. I have that's all right. Uh, I do the same thing. <laughs> um, but I um, I, I have a uh, a really bad sort of uh, case of obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorder yeah. and all these things. You know, right? And uh, so I don't do well. And people think I'm this really friendly, social guy. Right. And to tell you the truth, and with fans and stuff, yeah. I, I'll stand and sign stuff for them all day long, yeah. and and uh, it, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. Because uh, those are the people that put shoes on my kids. You sure. know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You owe it to your fans. Yeah. I believe that. And, yeah. And I don't get that nerved up around people like that. It's... Um, uh, unless it looks like somebody might shoot me. Sure. <laughs> you know Does that I mean? happen? Well, I mean, every now and then you get a stalker uh, yeah, sure. or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but um, well, I'll put it to you this way. When I go to a big party yeah. that I have to go to because it's time, and I, and I love a lot of these folks. There's some really right. genuinely good people who are big deals in this business. Yeah. Like Jerry Bruckheimer is just a, a great human. Yeah. You know, and he and his wife are great people. And they're always kind to me. They'll invite me to things that yeah. I probably have no business at. But, yeah. but for me, going to a party that, that say, Jerry Bruckheimer is hosting is like going to Prince Charles' house to me. Right. I feel so out of place and so nervous that I, I think I think it's why I ramble a lot and and because I'll talk a lot, you know, but. I'm naturally shy. Yeah, I think I do it because I, I if I if I'm quiet, I get start to get really nervous. Right. So if there's a lull in the conversation, I start you know looking at the ground, kicking rocks. I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. And I have a lot of stand up. Uh, not a lot. Yeah. I have a handful of stand up comic friends. Right. Who? Like Rick Overton. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ron White, guys yeah. like that that yeah. I've known over the years, yeah. and. Uh, I actually remember Monty Hoffman. Yeah. Monty passed away not long ago. Yeah. And uh, I, I used to know him years ago. And I've talked to them about it before, about how, you know, your whole job is to get up there and be self-deprecating a lot of times. Talk about what a piece of shit you right. are or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And I kind of feel like that's what I am when I'm in front of people and it looks like I'm doing great. Yeah. Inside I'm I feel like the I mean the the guy who you know, takes care of the yard. I, huh. I I don't feel like one of the people at the party. I remember when I saw you at that rooftop. That was the only time I met you. We were I don't know what the hell it was. It was a publicity thing, and we were yeah, on a roof. That's right. And or, and yeah. we were standing by yourself. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna go. Back. I was in the corner smoking. <laughs> you were. <laughs> that's where I always am. <laughs> but where, where do you where do you think that comes from? Have you tracked it? Would it help you out to track it, or you just think it's a mental thing? Or uh, was your dad a, a crazy man? He was. Uh, well, these days they would call it abusive, I suppose. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I know they would. Yeah. Uh, back then, it was just the way things were. <laughs> oh, no. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I got whacked around quite a bit. And uh, was he boozy? No. No. Oh, just my dad was not a drinker. Just a uh, uh, neither were my man. parents. He, well, he was just a wound up. Yeah, you know, tight ass little, you know, English Irish, you yeah. know, redneck coach, you know, and yeah. he, and you, you didn't, uh, you didn't make noise when he's watching Ed Sullivan or whatever, and watching so the exactly, spin that plates. kind of thing. So you're you're always yeah. waiting for the, for the yeah. thing. To, <laughs> like, and they say know. that's how it happens. They say that OCD can start out because of, uh, like, uh, when my dad would. Uh, it was almost time for me to get home from yeah, work. Right. I'd look at the clock and I'd say to myself, if I can count to a hundred seven times before the car pulls in the driveway, everything's going to be okay. And I, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, right. and so I yeah, think that's yeah. where it all started. And I, I have memories of it as early as 10 or 11. So it's almost like maybe this magical work. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and uh, so it was just unpredictability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. And then you'd seek to control it through these systems, right? And it wouldn't, right? But they're still comforting now. Yeah, because you think if if you don't do it, yeah, like okay. people with this stuff, if 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 I get the idea in yeah. my head that I got to do something, it's like an itch that's uh, got to be scratched. Right. You have to do it. Wait. And I mean, I I touched a guy. Was, there was a guy with a giant black head on his neck in a yeah. supermarket line one yeah. time. Yeah. And this was a long time ago. Yeah, and I got the, and it got in my head that somehow I had to touch that thing. Which yeah. I'm a germaphobe, so I didn't want to touch it. Right. But I got it in my head I had to, and so I did. And then acted like. And the guy turns around. Of course, he was an older guy. Yeah. And I, I went and then kind of tripped over something and lo- and dropped a magazine. Yeah. In the line at right. the supermarket and said, "Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I didn't mean to. You know. Yeah. But I came up with a way where I could satisfy the ocd and still not get punched out you know right in the, yeah in the line you know? <laughs> that, yeah you, you just, <laughs> in that moment you're like this is this is important i'm gonna touch that thing right so how do i <laughs> yeah right how do i figure this out i mean it's like a, it's a uh, i mean i laugh about it but it, it's it's exhausting i can't imagine I, I just get like the, to have those kind of compulsions where you you know you, you're gonna seem crazy yeah to whoever, what what right. what other ones do you use daily? Well, a lot of it's just geometrical stuff in my head. Oh, really? Yeah, that that you don't necessarily see a physical manifestation of right, it, where right. you could go, "Hey, what the hell is that guy doing?" Right. But I do things verbally sometimes where if I've said something, and then I'm in a conversation with three or four people and I don't finish it. Yeah. They could go on seven different topics. Oh yeah, and you're hanging and, on. And thirty minutes later, I'll finish what I said. 
You know what I mean? And they look at you like, yeah. what the uh, fuck? They have no idea what I'm talking about at but, that point. But, but were you sitting there like sort of harboring it? Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> Can't listen. You just sort of yeah. like, I'm gonna... no, you're just kind of zoned out. Yeah. You start sweating, you're, you're, you know, and you get kind of dizzy, think you're having a panic attack. Yeah, it's weird. So acting on some level has got to be great because there's a sort of context. There's a control. Yeah. There's a script. You get... It's like people with Tourette's syndrome. I mean, I saw a documentary once and there was a guy who, uh, he was an archer and a theater actor. Uh-huh. I believe he's from Canada. And, uh, but he would bark and all kind of things. But then when he would concentrate on putting that arrow in the bullseye, he was, com- I mean, just zoned in completely. And comfortable. Like, and comfortable. You know, not thinking about That's it. Exactly. Not freaking out about something. And when he was on stage in a play, he said he was fine. Wow. But then the rest of the time, see, idle time is not good for that kind of person. <laughs> or right. Because, like, and especially just the, the sort of, I would imagine, like, that different degrees of it would tend towards agoraphobia. Like, you know, just the idea Absolutely. of, like, just going outside. I've got some of that. My, oh, yeah. my mom was agoraphobic. And, really? Uh, I mean, in her last 20 or so years. Uh, yeah. And uh, I've got a touch of it. Uh, I, I think my agoraphobia, though, was directly related to fame and also when the social network started really coming along you know the social yeah. networking platforms oh only like. because only because i got a fr- well with so much criticism like i'm a i'm a a, a weakling i can't take uh uh i mean constructive criticism i'm all for right but just i, I can't i can't take you know some dick just saying you know what a, why is this guy doing you know whatever right you know or if they, you know, attack your family or Ugh. your looks or whatever like that. I mean, look, here's the thing. All I want to say to fans or, or not fans or yeah. guys that hate me or whatever right. they call people, trolls or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I just want to say I'm an insecure, dyslexic, obsessive compulsive guy who has panic attacks and is not comfortable in his own skin. I don't feel like I fit in. I'm a mess. Uh, I love my children and I stay home. And so please, <laughs> for God's sake, don't give me something. Don't give me some more <laughs> shit. You know? yeah, yeah. So I think I just kind of went inside because, you know, I think artists in a lot of ways have become afraid to stick their neck out of the cave because they get a, their head chopped off. There's no way to, uh, you know, there's always a way into you now. But, you know, it's like, obviously, you know, the whole, the internet and a lot of this stuff is, yeah. is helpful. I mean, it's really of a helpful course, thing. Of course, of course. And there are great things are doing. Medicine, all yeah. kinds of things. I mean, but it's, it's like anything that's ever been invented. I mean, yeah. I remember the History Channel had a, a, the 100 most important inventions of yeah. all time. Right. And they would show like. You know, 20 of them at a time over five episodes or whatever. And I couldn't wait. I got really into it. I wanted to see what was number one, right? Yeah. And it turns out it was a printing press, which made total sense. Sure. I mean, it was the first time there was mass communication. And so. And with that came good things and bad bad things. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, it's kind of like. The printing press, the internet became you know, what the printing press was initially, you know, uh, back in those days. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, but now the <clears> fucked up <throat> thing is, is like pretty much everyone has a printing press. Well, so yeah, that's some guys. Some guy's job is just to yeah. be spinning that machine. <laughs> Billy Bob's an asshole. Billy right. Bob's an asshole. Right. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that no, guy's so easy. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't know if that guy should have a printing press. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. He seems obsessed too. Right. Oh man. <laughs> so, yeah. well, let me let me ask you something about Duval. Mm-hmm. You guys spend a lot of time together. Well, he lives over in, on the East Coast, but uh, when he's out here, yeah, yeah, I see him. Yeah. What do you like? Because I'm now remembering that there, they, like, he barely talks on Swing Blade, but he does something with his face. Like, oh he, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, what did he do? Like he bit his lip, or what was it? It was a yeah, weird. Yeah, he just makes a face at me. Uh, yeah, and there's like he did something weird. Like I can't remember, but like working with him because he did the Apostle as well. Yes. And and uh, I don't know. I, I know the judge. I think, I, I know yeah. he's been in some other movies. But like, what, like, like, what, what, what do you, what do you learn from his process? I mean, I you have to. Well, he taught me a couple of things early on that uh-huh. I that I've never forgotten. One is there were a few actors that he couldn't stand. I uh-huh. won't name them, but they were big actors. Yeah, and uh, people would talk about s- this guy's performance. You know, so subtle. And Duvall and Duvall used to say, "There's a thin line between subtlety and boredom." Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, subtle and boring. He uh-huh, said that's uh-huh. how he put it, and. Uh, and so that there has to be life in you no matter what you're doing and that life has to show. But he also taught me that there's no such thing as uh, acting being the underplayed. He said life is not underplayed. Yeah. He said sometimes life is underplayed, obviously. Yeah. But he said sometimes it's overplayed. Sometimes, you know, when somebody says somebody was over the top, I think... I think the average movie watcher who uses that term over the top, they're using the wrong term mm. because there are people in real life who are over the top. Sure. That's true. And there are people who are very subtle. Uh-huh. And uh, people that are very quiet and powerful. Right. There are all those kinds of people. And Duvall said there's room for all that in a movie. So every time somebody does a subtle performance, why do they say it's genius? And then another guy may do something where he's bouncing off the walls and it may be uh, brilliant. Right. You know? And right. so, and that's one of the things he taught me. Because, uh, you know, over the top, that's not, a, that's not the thing. If someone does a bad job... <laughs> <laughs> of playing a character yeah. and they're 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 doing a bunch of random stuff for yeah. attention and scene yeah. and chewing the scenery that's that's one thing yeah but just to be over the top is not a bad thing based on whatever that character is supposed to be oh know? yeah that's... and 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 there are people in real life that are over the top and that's sort of help you think about characters a Absol- little bit yeah, absolutely well that's know? interesting there's life in every what do you say there's life in every action uh, yeah. yeah 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 there's yeah. a like because i heard that gene hackman once said i know how to fill myself up like before he right would go out there sure that's what yeah. you got to do you have to know it's you know a lot of times actors who are like i said i'm i'm so unsure of myself as a human yeah that that's the one place i could really pull my power up right and that's where you uh you know you uh, you really live right there. Yeah. And this whole thing about living in the moment as yeah. an actor, that's another misunderstood thing. Sometimes humans aren't living in the moment. Sure, they're out to so, lunch. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you may be playing that person. Yeah. So you can't go by all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's like 
I remember the, what was it, the Sid Field screenwriting book yeah, or whatever. Right, and yeah. one of the things that said in there was, you have to introduce all the main characters in the first 10 pages. Well, that's bullshit. You don't have to do that. Yeah, you have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do anything anybody says. You do whatever the fuck you want. If it works, good for you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but that's tricky, isn't it? Like, you know, do, how do you find your way into a guy? I mean, is there one, like, let's say, like, it seems like this guy you're playing now in Goliath is is not not too far off. I mean, he's got some of the right. same characteristics you do. Sure. But, but, like, when you look at that, did, was it something about sleep apnea? Was it about, like, which was, what was the window into that guy for you? I read the script, and it was almost like reading my life if I were a lawyer. <laughs> right. And right. so I just go, oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. I Honest to God, I've, I've been known for playing all these different types and different characters sure. and things. But with all those characters, they're still within a certain wheelhouse. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I what I essentially do, other than a couple of times, uh, I, I can honestly say only maybe twice in my lifetime did I ever do a movie for money. Yeah. Uh, where I didn't hate the character. I liked the character, but it wasn't maybe my first choice, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so when when you read a script, you either, at least I do, I look at it and I go, I'm the best guy for that job. Right. I I am this guy. That's, that's me. I can do that. I, I can do that. Yeah. And I've turned down things that would have made a lot of money for me and or, or maybe some more popularity because I'm not a... I'm not that popular of an a- actor. I'm popular with people who like me. Right. But I'm not that popular in terms of the world. I mean, like, I don't have any international name. I'm right. basically a domestic guy. I'm an American actor. And, and people in England kind of know me. Maybe Not uh, even the Bad Santa movies? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, every now and then I'll run to a guy from Japan who says Bad Santa. But but, but, you know, what, you, but what you're saying is like that, you know, in, 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 if it's within your range... You can yeah. lean into it. Absolutely. And, and so I only pick the things that I'm right, right. for. And so that that also allows you a certain strength, you know? And I, I my, my standard joke is always, uh, you know, I've told it to death, but it's just the truth. If you're doing a movie about Charles de Gaulle, get a Frenchman. <laughs> you know, it ain't me. I'm not going to go and, you know, study with, you know, some sure. guy named, you know, yeah. Francois for right. six months to learn how to play Charles de Gaulle. Yeah. There's plenty of cats that can play Charles de Gaulle. Get yeah. one of them. Right. But if you're going to do fucking Davy Crockett, get me. <laughs> Don't fucking get a Frenchman. You know, it's like because we got plenty of Texans. Yeah. We got all kind of Texans. Yeah. And we got all kind of New Yorkers. We yeah. got all kind of people from Oregon, whatever right. it is. Yeah. So we don't necessarily have to have people from Australia and England and yeah. New Zealand or wherever the hell it is play fucking yeah, William it, Travis. Why make it difficult? Right? <laughs> and so, and then by the same token, yeah. we also don't need to go over there and play Winston Churchill. Right. Good choice. Gary Oldman. Let right. Gary Oldman do it. Yeah. Don't fucking get, you know, yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? What, what kind of things have you been offered where you just, but like, no, like, but the thing is, I guess the question is like, it seems to me that your wheelhouse is pretty broad because you're still able to take risks. I mean, you know, Monster's Ball was not a walk in the park, was it? No. Well, none of them have been a walk in the park. Right. I mean, they're, they're, it's always hard. Uh, and uh, some of the parts you get into too much and you really, you know, it get, affects you. And Monster's Ball was a heavy movie. Yeah, and, man. 
I was playing, you know, my dad in a lot of ways in that in that movie, and uh, uh, so did it, yeah, did yeah, it, it was heavy. Yeah, and when you came out of it, did were, did did it upset you? It was, yeah, it affected all of us who were involved in that movie. I think I think we didn't we didn't quite get over it for a while, but you know, it's yeah, there, yeah, I played different kind of kind of still cats. risk. There's still risk there's, involved, even there's if there's risk if it's there's especially risk if you're playing yourself sometimes. Yeah, I guess that's true. Huh? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, but then again, I. I that, those are other words that maybe sometimes in the entertainment business I always find funny because people will go, you know, you really take risks, or they say, what a brave performance. Yeah. You know what? Tell a fucking soldier that. Yeah, yeah. Tell a soldier that some guy was really brave when he played Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think there's any brave performance in the entertainment business other than maybe, honestly, stand-up comedy. I don't know how people do it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you get up there and your sole purpose is to make people laugh, like instantly, you know, if you just took a shit in front of everybody. Well, you know, I've been, <laughs> I, I, right, but I've been doing it for like half my life, and what happens with it is that not unlike getting the skill set, you know, you know how to absorb failing, you know how to absorb a joke not working, but you do build a certain comfort on stage where you're like, well, I live up there, so nothing's going to happen to me up there. I know what that is, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. So, like, if you're lucky, like, it took me, like, 20 years, like, you look at a stage and like, no, I can't wait to get out there, as opposed to like, oh, fuck. What the fuck do these people want? Look at that fucking guy, you know? Like, but but once you change over, you know, it's just a, it's 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 like anything else. It's like, you, you know, you do you do your time, and you know, you're not going to be afraid anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. And usually, you'll make people laugh. Sometimes, you know, yeah. <laughs> some nights are better than others. But like yeah. when you're like Ron White, you yeah. know, bad night is just going to be like I didn't get. Yeah, you know, they weren't laughing all the time. Right, exactly. Or they weren't laughing at this level. Oh yeah, right. So Ron on a on a, on a shitty night is going to get pretty good laughs all the way through. All he has to do is walk out there and oh, yeah. pour his glass of scotch, and you, he's in. Yeah, oh yeah. Because yeah. you've just sat down in a bar with yeah. Ron White. Sure. I mean, so that's kind of what it is. Yeah. And yeah. Ron, one of the funniest things I ever heard. A couple of the funniest things I ever heard in my life were from Ron. And one was he was he flew from like uh, uh, Flagstaff to uh, you know Phoenix yeah. or something like right. that. And he said because my manager uh, evidently doesn't own a globe. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah, right. And <laughs> and the other thing he said was when he was in New York and he got in trouble and uh, he was in there drinking. Yeah, and uh, uh, some something went on and the cops showed up. Uh-huh. And they threw him outside on the sidewalk and got roughed up by a few cops. And he, he said, they said, uh, he, he said, what are you doing with me? What are you arresting me for? And they said, for uh, drunken public. And he said, I, I wasn't drunk in public. I was drunk in there. You guys threw me in public. <laughs> and uh, one of them said, uh, yeah. do you know how many of us it'd take us to kick your ass for us to kick your ass and Ron said I don't know how many of you it'd take but I know how many you're going to use <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's funny yeah he's a funny guy I always like hanging out with him yeah he's a good guy well it was great yeah. talking to you man well, you too Mark glad you came by yeah thanks there you go there you have it 
Goliath, both seasons on Amazon now. It was nice to see him. Nice to talk to Billy Bob. Some vintage WTF posters are back in the swag store. Go to podswag.com slash WTF or go to the merch page of WTFpod.com. We've got five posters up there, all signed by me. Some of them limited edition. Enjoy that. Okay. I'll play a little guitar if I can remember the thing I was doing a minute ago.